It's been said that pride is the mother of all sins, meaning that all sins flow from a prideful heart. And in Daniel chapter 4, we're going to watch Nebuchadnezzar get humbled by God, proving that God is sovereign over everything. And old Nebi is going to learn a hard lesson about humility. And we're going to be able to learn today if we also apply the lessons of the Bible today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get to today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. For your gift of any size, we would like to give you the free DVD, Dark Dangers of the Occult. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. When someone has been humbled by God, they all of a sudden become more transparent, less guarded, more willing to say, hey, let me tell you who I really am. There was a time that I was doing this or that. There was a season in my life and this or that happened. And they're not afraid to tell you how God humbled them. It, it's kind of a sign when you're making some progress, when you become a little bit transparent, or maybe a lot transparent, about your own foibles and weaknesses. In fact, there's a certain freedom to it. Do you know why? Because if you can learn to laugh at yourself a little bit, and learn to admit that you're human, and you make mistakes, and you're imperfect, all of a sudden you don't have to try to fool people anymore. Have you been trying to fool people about who you are? I'm strong. I can do it. I can leap tall buildings in a single bound. <laughs> Rip up in your shirt. I'm super Christian. Here's what Nebuchadnezzar says. Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel 4, verse 1. The king to all the peoples. Now remember how much influence this world empire has at this time. This is the world empire Ruling, it's the United States of the day, but maybe even more significant and dominant. Nebuchadnezzar the king to all the peoples, nations, men of every language that live in all the earth. May your peace abound. This is a unique moment in scripture where we get an autobiographical record, as I mentioned. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done or performed for me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. What does Nebuchadnezzar sound like there? He sounds like a Christian, doesn't he? He sounds like a worshiper of the Most High God. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house. I was flourishing in my palace. If you have a NIV, it says I was contented and prosperous. Let me park for a second. Sometimes we get the notion that when we meet an unbeliever, they must be miserable. So you go out and you try to witness to a coworker or a friend who doesn't know the Lord, and you say something like this, aren't you just miserable without the Lord? And they say something like this, no, I'm having a good time. And you're like, what? Do you have a drug problem? Nope. <laughs> Do you have a problem with pornography? Nope. I'm married. 
I have 2.5 children, a dog named Spot, a good career. I'm a solid citizen. Maybe they don't need the Lord after all. You see, sometimes we think that sinners are just miserable. No, some people, many people are content in their sin. They're content sometimes just living on their own until, of course, something happens. I saw a dream. I was contented, prosperous, and I saw a dream, and it made me fearful. These fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. If you have an NIV, it says, The thoughts on my bed and visions of my head troubled me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon. Now, you would have thought that he would have just sent directly for Daniel. <laughs> Hadn't he learned by now that these guys are not very good at their job? That they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Sounds familiar, but this, is, this time he's going to tell the dream, and it's a different dream. Then the magicians, the conjurers, verse 7, the Chaldeans, the diviners came in. I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. Now, when you hear the dream, you're going to kind of wonder, did these guys take dream interpretation 101 or not? The dream does not seem terribly complicated, but maybe they were kind of afraid to tell him what the dream could mean or what they thought it meant. So finally, he says, but finally Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, that was his Babylonian name, given to him according to the name of my God. And in whom is the spirit of the holy gods? If you have a New King James, it says the spirit of the holy God. And there is a debate whether it should be spirit of the holy gods, as in maybe a pagan's point of view, or the spirit of the holy God. There's a text note in the MacArthur Study Bible where he's convinced that the New King James has it right, and it's the spirit of the holy God, because why would Nebuchadnezzar say the spirit of the holy gods? Because that's not how they necessarily looked at their gods, and there's an argument to be made there. Whichever is correct, it's still coming from a pagan king. He just knew this. He knew Daniel had insight. He knew there was something supernatural in him, and so he related the dream to Daniel. He said, oh, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because remember, Daniel had been raised up because of his abilities by God. Since I know that the spirit of the holy gods or the spirit of the holy God is in you and no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream, which I have seen along with its interpretation. Now, these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. There's Nebuchadnezzar sharing with Daniel. I was looking and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth. Its height was great or enormous. It was tall and proud. The tree, 11, grew large and became strong. Its height reached the sky, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, its fruit abundant. Now, this is his dream. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the sky dwelt in its branches and all living creatures fed themselves from it. Now, this is an incredible tree. It's tall, majestic, abundant, fruitful, supplying the needs of so many. In Scripture, take note of this, students, of Scripture. The, a tree can represent a man. He will be, Psalm 1, like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. It can represent a nation. You can note Ezekiel chapter 31, verses 3 through 14. And a tree in Romans 11, 
Paul uses the olive tree to represent Israel and then Gentiles grafted into the olive tree. In this passage, the tree is Nebuchadnezzar. I was looking in the visions 13 in my mind as I lay on my bed and behold an angelic watcher, a holy one, an angel if you will, descended from heaven and he shouted out and he spoke as follows. Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip it, strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Now the dream sounded good until the angelic watcher made this proclamation. Cut it down. Now, if Nebuchadnezzar's thinking, I'm the tree, it sounded good when you're producing fruit and little animals and birds are chirping and you're supplying the needs and you're tall and proud. But when you hear, chop it down, that's not a good sign. So if you're Nebuchadnezzar, it's something like this. I just like to make sure I'm not the tree. I'm not the tree, am I? <laughs> Tell me I'm not the tree. <laughs> Tell me what I want to hear. He was unnerved by another dream. Just like the dream when the rock came and smashed the statue and he was appalled and unnerved by it, this one has done the same. Yet, the angelic messenger, remember in Scripture, angels are reapers in Matthew 13, 9. 13, 39, and 40. They execute God's wrath all throughout the book of Revelation. So the angel shouts, chop it down. Yet 15 says, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field. And let him, now notice it goes from the tree to a person, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven let him share with the beasts in the grass of the earth. The tree is going to be chopped down, branches cut, it's going to be stripped, and now the tree becomes a hymn. And whenever someone is tall and proud, and maybe everything's going right, and something goes amiss, something maybe bad happens, we almost feel like we got chopped down. We feel like we've lost a lot of things. That may be you tonight. Maybe... Maybe things were going well at work. Maybe financially you were doing well. Maybe you were healthy. And all of a sudden, just something happened. Something turned. Something shifted. And you feel like, man, you've been cut off at the knees. You've been chopped down and you're no longer supplying others the way you used to. Or maybe your health's not what it once was. Or maybe spiritually, you're just feeling like you're not producing any fruit whatsoever. But it gets worse. It says in 16... By the way, in 15, the band around the, the uh, stump is a guarantee that God will protect, protect what remains intact and preserve the king's rule. We'll see that in verse 26. And oftentimes when God does something in our life, even if it's a heavy cutting job, it's not to destroy us. It's to bring us back into something more beautiful and more productive. But the pruning process... <laughs> can be painful, and sometimes it doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would I cut back good fruit that's producing because it's going to produce more fruit? We can see that in John 15. It says, let his mind be changed, 16, from that of a man. Let a beast mind be given to him. This was the inspiration for the story, Beauty and the Beast. I'm just kidding, it wasn't. At least I don't know that it was. And let seven periods of time pass over him. 
most believe in. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first, what do you know about the occult? In the month of October, the number one theme is Halloween. Houses are decorated and kids drag their parents to the store to get the costume they want to wear for their holidays trick-or-treat night. There are those that take the holiday on a darker path. What do you know about the occult? People are often fascinated with it, but it is far from innocent. It is dangerous. God warned his people in the Bible to understand what it is and have nothing to do with it. Dark Dangers of the Occult is a DVD available to you this month by Pastor Michael Lance. The video includes teachings and interviews that will help expose the occult for what it is and shine the light of Christ's power over it. Dark Dangers of the Occult is available as a thank you when you give a donation of any size in support of Walk in Truth. Call 844-48-TRUTH today. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. Why would I cut back good fruit that's producing because it's going to produce more fruit? We can see that in John 15. It says, let his mind be changed, 16, from that of a man. Let a beast's mind be given to him. This was the inspiration for the story Beauty and the Beast. I'm just kidding, it wasn't. At least I don't know that it was. And let seven periods of time pass over him. Most believe that seven years. Seven is the number of what? Completion or perfection. So it was going to take potentially seven years of insanity for Nebuchadnezzar to come to his senses. Sometimes everything has to be stripped away so we can see who God is and that we're not God. And you might say, well, why would God do such a thing to a person to open their eyes to who God is? Because he has an eternal perspective unlike us who just think in temporary things. We don't think about eternity, but people are going into eternity at a very rapid rate just to remind you about one and a half to two people die Every second. Just ponder that for a second. Eternity is pretty important, right? Eternity is too long to be wrong about your soul. You ought to know where you're going when you exit stage left because you're going to unless Jesus comes in your lifetime. I often say to people at memorial services, often filled with unbelievers. The statistics on death are quite impressive. (laughs) And I usually get a little bit of a giggle. One out of every one of you is going to die. (laughs) You might want to make preparation for it. You can live in denial, but that's only a river in Egypt, not Babylon anyway. Sorry. (laughs) Denial, yeah, anyway. You see, Jonah's in the belly of the great sea monster and it says, after three days and three nights, Jonah prayed. That's Jonah 2.1. What do you mean, after three days and three nights? What was he doing for three days and three nights? How long would it take you to pray if you were in the belly of a sea monster? I'd say about half a second. Oh, Lord, get me out of here. Right? What do you mean three days and three nights? Now, there's some different points of view. Was he 
Did he die? Was he unconscious? Or was he just stubborn? (laughs) Remember, he didn't want to preach to those people to begin with. He ran the other way. How many times has it taken for you? Three days and three nights? Seven years? Still a work in progress? (laughs) Me too. So the sentence is by the decree 17 of angelic of the angelic watchers. The decision, they're carrying out the decision of God, is a command of the holy ones. Uh, Bible students, write down Jude 14, where it says the Lord is coming with, what is it, 10,000s of his holy ones. I think that's the language there. Um, the idea of holy ones is often rendered saints in the New Testament because holy is the word for saint. So it could speak of angels in those verses. And it says that the command of the holy ones, carrying out God's command, is in order that the what? That the living may know, middle of 17, that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind. Heaven rules, and God wants the living to know it because the dead already know. Are you convinced of that? How many people, maybe just in your lifetime, clever so-called scientists, sophisticated philosophers, have entered into eternity, and now they know. But here's the question. Did they know before they go? (laughs) To use a rhyme. Did they know God? Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. John 17, 3. You need to know God. We have a man who's been part of our church for many years, and he shared a testimony on the internet. He had a near-death experience. He, he was uh, dead clinically, I believe, seven minutes um, He describes a scenario. You can wrestle with this, but I've spoken to him directly and he shared this on the internet where he died and he was not in a place that he would describe as heaven. He would say he was under judgment. And he came back. He was brought back. He got to tell his story. And he said that God's message to him, take this for what it's worth, was get to know me. And he said, that's what I'm doing. I'm getting to know him. The dead already know. Because once you leave this life, for a Christian to be absent from the body is to be what? At home with the Lord. For an unbeliever, we see a behind-the-scenes situation in Luke 16, where Jesus describes the poor beggar, Lazarus, and the rich man. They both die. They're buried. The poor beggar ends up in Abraham's bosom. Where's the rich man? He's in Hades. He lifts up his eyes. He cries out, Father Abraham, you know, send Lazarus to put some water on the end of my tongue. I'm in agony in this flame. And there's a dialogue. Son, in your life, you time you had your good things, Lazarus his bad things. Now he's comforted and you're in agony. And besides all this, there's a great gulf between the two of us fixed. We can't cross from us to you. You can't cross from you to us. This is fixed. No exits. No change of address. 
It's it. And it's a story from the lips of Jesus. Okay, well then, send, send somebody to my five brothers, lest they also come into this place of torment. Do you remember the response? From the lips of Jesus, speaking for Abraham. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear him or them. No, but if somebody comes from the, back from the dead, they'll believe. Will they? Jesus Christ was raised from the dead in the very history in which we are embedded. We have more evidence in antiquity for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for any historical event in antiquity. And how many people are still rejecting the resurrection or coming up with goofy, silly arguments to somehow try to explain the facts? See, man is stubborn. And Nebuchadnezzar is about to be convinced that God is God. And so this is a key verse to understand the chapter in verse 17. The Most High, mark it, is ruler over the realm of mankind, and he bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. Walter Martin, in his wonderful style said, God presides over all their funerals. They may get 60, 80 years, shake their fist at God, print t-shirts, God is dead. God prints his own t-shirt. Nietzsche is dead. You see, this is how it works. God is God, we are not. This is the dream which I, Nebuchadnezzar 18, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, tell me its interpretation. Inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while. King James says, for one hour. As his thoughts alarmed him, the king responded and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and, and its interpretation to your adversaries. Now, Daniel knew what the dream meant, but he was troubled because ancient Eastern kings like this lived in a very protected environment. And for some, some of the records that we have say that you couldn't, as even a cupbearer, be sad in their presence. They didn't want any sadness. They didn't really want bad news. They wanted a protected environment. Fan me, feed me another grape. Fan me, feed me another grape. Tell me lies, tell me sweet little lies. I don't want any bad news. That was a song, Fleetwood Mac. And so Nebuchadnezzar knows that Daniel's a straight shooter and he sees him troubling and he's, it's kind of like when, when you know someone needs to tell you something, but they don't want to tell you something, and you go, just tell me. Just, just tell me. But you know, just by their facial expression, that the news is not going to be good, but you have to know. And so Daniel sets the table wisely, knowing that to give the king bad news could mean that he dies right on the spot. And so Daniel says, okay, okay, king, put your seatbelt on. <laughs> Sit down. Brace yourself. The tree that you saw, which became large, 20, 
grew strong, whose height reached to the sky, was visible to all the earth, whose foliage was beautiful, fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, in whose branches the birds of the sky lodged. Yeah, 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 I know the dream. The tree is you. <laughs> I knew it. Every time I get a dream like this, it's always about me. Couldn't it be about somebody else? You ever had someone come to you and say, I had a dream about you last night. My first response is, did I die? <laughs> what did you dream about? Don't ever tell somebody that and then hold back what the dream was unless you're embarrassed to share it. <laughs> or if you're on the receiving end, just say, did I die? Did I die? Was there a calendar date? Were the circumstances revealed to you in which my demise happened? Were you there? Because if you were, I'm not hanging out with you anymore. <laughs> what was I driving? What was I wearing? I'll get rid of the car. I'll burn those clothes. What do I have to do? Hey, listening family, it's Pastor Michael. I want to tell you another exciting thing about walkintruth.com. It's the store that's there. There's some great products up there on some intriguing subjects available in CD and DVD format. When you purchase one of those products, you actually support the radio ministry and help us reach out to more people like you. It's walkintruth.com. Click on the store, check it out, get a product, and you'll be partnering with us in the gospel ministry. We appreciate you. We love you. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.